We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. And joining me as he does every Sunday and Monday, it's the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on, man? Not too much, Alex. I, I've just about had it with with the quarantine business or or the hunkering down or whatever this is. <laughs> I need you're. I look forward to this because I get to talk to somebody other than my wife, and <laughs> and that's a really really good thing for me. But I'm about done with this. I got to tell you the truth. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, thankfully, I'm able to work, so I'm out and about. But it's gotten to the point where I hate to say it, but sometimes I'm dreaming about the people I work with. And <laughs> I, I said, I've got to see more people than these seven people I'm seeing every day. It's getting to the point where I'm, you know, <laughs> overthinking everything about work. And I'm like, I just got to clear my mind. But yes, so today we're going to do things a little bit differently. We had talked about possibly doing second round, top five second round draft picks in Pacers history. But Decided to take a little bit of break from the Pacers, you know, just talking strictly Pacers. But we decided today that we're going to do our top ten list, uh, greatest of all time, because of the Michael Jordan documentary coming out. So, Kent, you know, this is a tough list. I mean, was it hard for you to assemble your top ten? Well, it was really hard at the bottom. Yeah. Right. The, the ordering was hard. And then at the bottom, to overlook some of the guys that had to be overlooked in order to get a tenth into it. 
Um, you know, there are a lot of really good players who could have been 10th or 9th. And, you know, it's subjective, like you said. So we we make the calls. That's what we do. Right. So, okay, let's just start things off with number 10. Who you got? I got Tim Duncan okay. at number 10. Uh, two-time MVP, five-time champion, the best defender, I think, in the post easily uh, of his era and and maybe one of the best five defenders in the history of that position. Um, and, and so I, I went with Tim Duncan. His longevity was unbelievable. And three of his championships came in different decades, which right. tells you kind of what he had, his contribution to those teams with Duncan. They won championships. Without Duncan, not so much. Yeah, and that's I have Tim a little bit higher than number 10 for me. Because of his defense, you know, 15-time All-Defensive player uh, is pretty impressive. Um, 15-time All-NBA as well. So, you know, he had both the offensive skills and the defensive skills. I called him Mr. Fundamental. He was only, you know, uh, he was a three-time Finals MVP, but they won five uh, championships with the Spurs. So he wasn't always a Finals MVP, but I, I feel like he probably was the best player. Even the years that he didn't win the MVP, it was a lot of what he was doing. Two-time MVP. You know, one of the one of the players that I really have been fond of growing up, you know, just someone I looked up to. And a lot of people, he's not flashy, but he's just fundamental. That's why he's called the big fundamental. So I, I like him on your top 10. But for me, Kent, for number 10, this probably will shock a little bit of people, but I've got Kobe Bryant at number 10. Wow. And, All right. Yeah. And so I, uh, I've i always been, I, I lean a lot towards big guys from the 90s and, you know, early 60s, 70s era quite a bit. So me getting him at number 10 was not my original plan. I went into it thinking, how am I going to debate him versus my 11th player? Because I put Hakeem Olajuwon at number 11, left him off the list, which was really yeah. hard for me to do. But I said, Kobe's got to make it. I mean, you look at these numbers, 25 points a game over his career, 5.2 rebounds, 4.7 assists. Five-time NBA champion, two-time Finals MVP, fifteen times All-NBA, twelve-time All-Defense, two thousand eight MVP, two-time scoring champ, eighteen-time All-Star, and four-time All-Star Game MVP. So, pretty impressive numbers from Kobe. The the reason I think that he's not higher for me personally is just because he's only won one MVP, and right. he, you know, a lot of people say, well, he should have won the Nash year as well. To me, it's like he wasn't the most dominant player on his team when he won his first three rings. And Pau Gasol was huge in the in the series that he did beat the Celtics and the Magic. So not saying that Pau was better than him, but I do think that he had to have the right players around him to win. But, of course, that's every championship team, so let's not get too critical. However, you know, was on a really crappy team for about three or four years. Once Shaq left, they kind of had to rebuild and get themselves back into playoff and title contention. So, you know, to me, I think that Kobe... While he's a great basketball player, there's no doubt about it. I wish he would have been more dominant during his time uh, as the face of the Lakers because as dominant as he was on the court, you, I mean, there's still arguments that LeBron was a better player than him coming into year three or four. It, that's kind of where I stood with it. He wasn't dominant for like multiple years as like the best player in the NBA for like five to six years in a row. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I had him just a little bit higher on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, obviously, for that decade of, of 2000 through 2010, one of the best three players in the game. Right. And, and so that counts for something. I think he had to be on the list. I'm not going to get all 
like teary-eyed. His death was tragic, but you know, I, I think a lot of people have started kind of that talk of, about him being one of the best three players ever, one of the best five players ever. I'm not buying into that, but I, I certainly, you know, he belongs on the list. He is an important, um, uh, an important presence in mm-hmm. NBA history, I, I think, and uh, a guy who you really can't, you, you can't write the story of the last 20 years in the NBA without mentioning him in the first paragraph. So uh, mm-hmm. he's on my list as well. Yeah, and one thing I want to say too, like we obviously know Kobe's death was tragic. Kobe was an ambassador of the game. He was reaching out to young people, women's basketball. I mean, he's a great ambassador of NBA and WNBA and basketball in general. So there is a bit of a sentiment when people are starting to re-rank their top 10, their top five, because of the recent tragedy. And I was trying to leave that emotional side out of it because I do think that Kobe Bryant, you know, he mirrored himself after the greatest player in the NBA, uh, Michael Jordan. So that's one of the things where – he he was trying to copy the greatest player, which you understand that, but I don't think he was as dominant as Michael was. So that's why, you know, people want to say, oh, he was just as good as Michael. I'm like, I wouldn't say that. And that's why I have him at 10. Right. But anyway, uh, let's move on. Who do you have at number nine? Number nine, I got Larry Bird. Okay. Three-time MVP, three-time champion. Larry Bird in the middle of the 80s was the best basketball player on the planet. And so that puts him at ninth for me. Uh, a guy who um, scored consistently through his last year in the league, uh, always scored, you know, somewhere between. He had the one year where he was 29.9, but always around 20 to 25 points a game. He was a good rebounder. He was a good passer. He was a winner. And I, I don't think that you can have a list like this without looking at that Celtics team from the 80s, mm-hmm. saying that it's one of the best Celtics teams and really one of the best NBA teams in history and not have somebody from that from that era on this. And and so I've got him at number nine. Yeah, I've got Larry quite a, uh, quite a bit higher than that. At, I've got him a little bit higher. I don't want to spoil it. But I, I do think that Larry, you know, him and Magic are known for saving basketball. And I think that matters. And I think that... That's an important thing to to bring up when you're talking about greatest players. And, you know, you look at his accolades. I mean, 10-time All-NBA, 3-time MVP, 12-time All-Star, 1982 All-Star Game MVP, Rookie of the Year, 3-time All-Defense, which, you know, when you think about Burge, you think yeah. about the passing, you think about the flashiness on offense. But defensively, he was a scrapper, and he wouldn't put up with anything. So, you know, that's what I love about Larry. He's a true competitor. I've got him a little bit higher, but I'm I'm fine with him at nine. I think that we're going to probably have a close to the same ten players, but might be in different rankings. So, uh, unless do you have any interesting stories about Larry? I know that you've been covering this team for a while, and he's been a part of the organization for a very long time. You know, he's the only guy who makes me nervous. Okay, right. Everybody else in town, like I can talk to anybody, and and enjoy the conversation and and feel like you know, okay, I'm I'm talking to a human being. But in talking to Larry Bird, it's like you cannot look at Larry Bird and not think, wow, that's Larry Bird. Right. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> he's that guy to me. I mean, it's like, I, I don't know, when I was a kid um, rooting for the Chicago Cubs, Ernie Banks was like this iconic, mythological kind of guy in my mind. He, he was way old by the time I saw him play. 
but that he's he's that guy. You know what I mean? Larry Bird's just, and he looks just like Larry Bird still. Yeah, it's not like I and he's gotten older and he's got some wrinkles and whatnot, but he still looks exactly like Larry Bird. <laughs> so you meet him and you think, holy crap, this Larry Bird standing right there, and he's you know we're talking. Right. Yeah, that's that's funny. You know, I uh, a couple stories about Larry is I was actually as a kid I was allowed to go down um, behind the locker room and get his autograph. But what's funny is he only will sign the back of a ticket. So he won't like, you can't get a card autographed. You can't do anything like that. He doesn't want that. He only autographed like during games, during timeouts and stuff like a back of a ticket. But what was also interesting, I used to work at a gas station uh, up North on 82nd and Dean road. And his, his daughter would come in and buy his cigarettes. Like, once I was usually on Fridays in the afternoon around like three o'clock <laughs> camel non filters is what she would buy for. And obviously, and like what's crazy is she's like barely five foot tall. So, you know, her dad's like six foot eight, six foot seven, whatever he is. And she's like this little tiny thing. She was the nicest person ever when she'd come in. And, you know, I had no idea it was her for a while. So somebody told me and he lived over in that area, I guess. But it was just crazy because I'm like, how in the world am I sitting here taking care of Larry Bird's daughter? I have no idea who it is. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of crazy. But uh, other than that, you know, uh, people kind of give Larry Bird a little bit of a hard time here in Indiana because they don't care for all of the decisions he made as a GM. But, hey, being a GM is a hard job. And I don't think yeah. anybody really knows what goes into it that criticizes. But moving on from my number nine, I've got Shaquille O'Neal here at number nine. Wow. And this is probably one of the most dominant players that we saw for about three years in a row, Kent. You know, during that three-peat, he was unstoppable. He was so good even when he was with the Magic. I mean, you know, a top five, top ten player probably at that point, too, in his career. 23.7 points a game, 10.9 rebounds, 2.3 blocks a game. You know, four-time NBA champ, 14 All-NBA, three-time All-Defense, one-time MVP, which I think he should have gotten more than that. Two-time scoring champ, uh, 15-time All-Star, 93 Rookie of the Year, and he also had three All-Star Game MVPs. You know, when I look back at the early 2000s, I think of Shaquille O'Neal. And, you know, you you look at everybody else there, but Shaq was so dominant. But I feel like that dominance could have been longer. I think he could have been, you know, someone that could have, if he would have taken it a little bit more seriously. That's one of the things between him and Kobe is Shaq knew he was so talented and knew that he was so big, no one could stop him, that he didn't, you know, always take things as seriously as Kobe did. Kobe was trying to grind and become the greatest of all time, you know, but Shaq was like, you know, giving himself a nickname every other month. So, you know, just having fun, cutting up with the media, that kind of thing. But I feel like if Shaq would have just stayed, you know, dominant his whole, like, for at least like another six years after that, or maybe maybe three years, if he would have went from like 2000, 2007, 2008 as the most dominant big man, I think he'd be up way higher on this list. But I just don't think he took care of his body enough, and I think the injuries ended up you know, kind of slowing his career down a little bit towards the end because even when he was playing towards the end of his career, he wasn't the same Shaq that he was starting early in you know 93 up to 2000. Yeah, I uh, he didn't make my list, and I'm almost embarrassed to say that he didn't. Oh wow! Because obviously, I, I I think that I mean the guy, the guy's got to be one of the top ten players, right? I mean the, the, the championships, and he's so iconic. He His is. statistics were unbelievable. Um, you know, you're right. He didn't take great care of himself. I heard a story from somebody at one point where he had his chef make him a birthday cake every single day. <laughs> 
every day a birthday cake was was served to Shaquille O'Neal, which I love, right? Because if you've got your own chef, and and you, like every day should be your birthday, you should live life that way. And here's right. a guy who actually literally did that. Uh. So from a lifestyle perspective, I'm a big admirer. From a basketball perspective, he was a complete freak. And, exactly. and you saw it in Blue Chips. The only good part of that movie, I think, is watching Shaquille O'Neal as Neon Boudreaux play basketball and and interact with Nick Nolte as as Pete Bell, the fictional coach at, at Western. Um, but uh, and a good actor. I mean, you know, Shazam sucked, but uh, or Kazam <laughs> or whatever the hell that yes. thing was. But in Blue Chips, he is actually pretty good, and I like him as an analyst. He's a lot of fun. Um, as a basketball player, I think you're right. You know, his his legacy would have would have been enhanced by a little more adherence to you know. It's kind of like Charles Barkley. Where would Charles Barkley have been without drinking you know twelve beers a day every day of his life? He would yeah. have been a, a much much better basketball player. We'd talk about him differently and probably talk about championships that he won instead of him being maybe one of the best to ever play who hasn't won a championship. So uh, Shaq's not on my list, but certainly deserving. Yeah, no, uh, you know, it's debatable. I think there's about towards the end, like we mentioned off air, it's really debatable who who you put in there. You know, Charles is one of those guys, like, like I said, if he would have not drank as much and if he also would have, you know, won a championship, then I think, you know, right. there's arguments made for him on this list. But we, we move past that list. So let's move on to number eight. Who is your number eight? I got James Harden. Which I know is kind what? of a kind of an odd choice. James, but he's on the, the best of all time. He is the best offensive basketball player I've ever seen. Going to watch him play at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, I was like, and this was last season. I try to go watch Rockets every year so I can watch James. But I I watched him, and I was like, okay, this guy is the best offensive player I've ever seen. He, mm-hmm. He's better than Kareem. He's better than Michael. He's better than Kobe. There, I don't think that this guy has a peer offensively. And and over the last six years, I think he's the best player in the NBA. <laughs> and statistically, I think he's the best player in the NBA. He's only 30 at this point. I think that James Harden, when it's all said and done, he's going to be, uh, along with LeBron, he's going to be one of the two guys that has a home on this list, and so maybe I'm being a little bit premature, but I'm putting him on it just because he's the best offensive basketball player I've ever watched. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Do you have Kevin Durant on your list? I do not. So you have I him over. He's one of those guys that, like, could have been 10th. Right, okay. So, yeah, I just I'm not feeling this one, Ken. I'm just going to be honest with you. I think this is a bad number eight. I, I, I feel like, I mean, I, he might be a great offensive player, but – Number number one, I mean, we talk about a guy like Charles Barkley. The reason he gets knocked is because he's never won a title. You could say the same thing for James Harden. You know, his teams always seem to have to be built around how he plays. And offensively, well, of I mean, course. And, uh, what do you well, got to do? You got the best offensive player in the league. Of course you're going to build it around him. Yeah, but he gets away. You know, I just – he's been he was really bad towards the end of the season. Was going Before the season was suspended – uh, Westbrook was kind of playing better than him at one point, and he was kind of taking a back seat if you were watching some of those Rockets games. And, you know, I don't mind James Harden. You know, a lot of people aren't big fans of him, but my biggest thing with him 
is defensively he's not engaged like he should be. And I think that's what really holds him back for me as a top 10 player. You know, maybe maybe you can make argument for top 30 of all time putting him on there because he's incredibly offensively skilled. There's no doubt about it. But number eight to me just seems a little bit uh, out of the ordinary. I don't know if you're just trying to be different or if this is really how you feel, no. but it's – uh that that just that I'm I'm at a loss for words. I just I never even fathom putting him in my top fifteen. He, he, he you're kind of dogging him out for the way he played this year. However, he is averaging thirty four point four points a game with seven point four assists and six point four rebounds. His uh, wins over replacement lead the league this year. This guy, if this is a down year, then that just reaffirms my argument that this is one of the best ever. <laughs> Well, because I said recently. I didn't say down all year. <laughs> like, what's an up year? You know, what's he got to do to impress you? Score 40 a game? Does he have to put up Wilt-type numbers in, in order to make a list? And I grant you that this is a little bit premature. He's really put together six great seasons, the last six. Yeah. Great statistics. And and are, are the Rockets ever going to win a championship? Probably not. But I don't hold James Harden accountable for that. Oh, I, I, I think I, I, I think it's the leadership of the franchise and, and the way they go after points at the expense of all other things. I think if James Harden played for a guy like Phil Jackson, he'd still get great offensive numbers, but he would also play some defense. And that's just not a priority now with the Rockets. I mean, maybe that's a fair point, but, you know, I mean, I'm, it's it's really hard to compare him to the Warriors because you're like, those Rockets teams were not as talented as, as the Warriors, obviously. You know, you got Durant, Curry, Clay, Draymond, those, you know, Andre Iguodala, right. like, the team was loaded. It was stacked. And, you know, he took him to seven games, but Chris Paul was pretty pivotal in those games. And the reason they ended up, they were up 3-2, to two, I believe, and they lost games 6-7 and seven without Chris Paul. So you, you just have to realize, like, for me, it's like he, he's been kind of a, a choke artist in the playoffs. You, you think about the Spurs, Manu blocking him, the complete no-show where they just come out, San Antonio does, and just kills him on their floor. Uh, in Houston, the, the game against the Clippers when they were down uh, they were down 3-2 to two in the series, and he goes on the bench, and it's like Josh Smith and Corey Brewer or whoever it was for the Rockets just going off crazy from three, winning, the, you know, winning that game six and then forcing a game seven, which they won. So – to me, it's like I look at James Harden as a player that's you know incredibly skilled, you know possibly could be a multi you know MVP, you know probably could have been an MVP last year compared to Giannis, but you know at, at the end of the day, I just I just don't think that this is a fair assessment of putting James on the list yet because there's only one active player in the NBA on my on my top ten list, and it's it is not James Harden, so. Um, but I'm going to move on because I could go on for days about why I don't think he should be on there. But for me, number eight's Tim Duncan. We already kind of talked about him. And I, I put him above Shaq and Kobe just because I feel like, you know, his dominance lasted longer. And not only was it on offense, the numbers offensively were a little bit lower. He only had 19 compared, 19 points a game compared to the 23 from Shaq and 25 from Kobe. But it was the defense, Kent. You mentioned it one of the greatest post defenders of his generation, if not the best. And that 15-time all-defense, that that is what skyrocketed him above Shaq and Kobe for me. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I had him at 10th, but I could have 
I, I could have moved him forward a little bit, and I don't think uh, I wouldn't have argued with myself too much. Right, right, right. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. Uh, let's move on to number seven. Who do you got? Well, now here's where I've got a guy who you chose earlier, and that's Kobe Bryant. Okay. Um, Kobe, a perennial all-star, a guy who every single year, once we turned the century, made the all-star team. Um, you know, I, I think he was a tremendous offensive basketball player. I think, you know, he's one of those guys who defensively, he, he wasn't maybe as good as he could have been if he didn't have to focus as much as he did on the offensive end, especially late in his career. But, a uh, you know, and, and one of the things, I mean, we like stories about guys, him knocking down foul shots after he tore his Achilles. I mean, that's a badass. And yeah. just based on that, you throw him on the list, right? I mean, that's that's a fair point, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's just like, no, I'll go get those two points for myself. And he made them both. You know, he, he's not, oh, my God, I, I've torn my Achilles. Get me to a hospital. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I'm going to go get these two points, and then we'll address my torn Achilles tendon. I just think <laughs> that's, that's a competitor. I like Kobe. No, and that's the thing. Kobe's Kobe's a fantastic player. You know, maybe I have him a little bit too low. Just because of I, I try to honor the the older people that I never really watched. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's almost right. like a respect. Well, you thing. have to. And it's like you know I, I hear all these great stories, and I feel like I see a lot of people on Twitter and stuff like that. Which I know Twitter is not a great place to get your information from, but a lot of you know younger generational people will say, "Oh, well, I think Kobe's top three, or I think Kobe's you know top two, or something like that." I'm like, "Did you not? You know, have you not studied Magic Johnson? Have you not seen Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right. or Michael Jordan, like?" People that didn't watch these guys play, you know, don't have the same respect. And it's like, uh, this is why at number seven, I'm going to say I have Will Chamberlain. And, you know, I could have put him up higher because the numbers are outrageous. You know, yeah. scored 100 points in a game, the most ever to do it. Uh, 30 points on average, 30 points, 22.9 rebounds, 4.4 assists. The guy is insane. Like, so, so talented. But we're, I just kind of like, this isn't like a a total knock, but he only had two rings. And if you see a guy that that's that dominant, you think he would have a ton of more NBA championships. He had the 72 uh, finals MVP, 13 time all-star four time, regular season MVP, 10 time, all NBA, two time, all defense, seven time scoring champ, 11 time rebound champ, 1960 rookie of the year. So he had a great career. He's a great basketball player, was an athletic freak, but you know, during his tenure in the NBA and stuff, Bill Russell was more dominant than him as far as championship level basketball. So, you know, maybe it's because the Celtics were better than Wilt's team, but Hey, you know, Wilt was supposedly the best player that a lot of people compare to. And I laugh when people look at those numbers and they say, well, Wilt was, you know, much better than Bill number wise, but it's pretty, it's pretty close. I mean, as far as dominance to me, uh, between the two of them, I think Bill is a better overall player because of the success that he had winning championships. So for me, Wilt Chamberlain, number seven, and I feel like a lot of young people just know that he had a hundred points in a game. So they're like, Oh, well, he's the greatest center of all time. And it's like, there's more to it than just putting up a hundred points in a game. He averaged 50 and 25 in a season. He never had a season where he averaged less than 18.2 boards per game. That's he was a complete freak. And and when he got with the right guys, he wound up being successful. It was just unfortunate that the Celtics were a juggernaut throughout the majority of his career mm-hmm. in the NBA. And when he went up against Russell or the Lakers, I, I guess most 
revealingly, the the Lakers went up against the Celtics. Uh, the Lakers didn't come out on top always. His last season in the NBA, the Lakers, they made it to the finals. They lost to the Knicks. They could have won that series. I think they lost in five, if memory serves. But the guy, the not only was he dominant, he was so dominant that they changed the rules of the game because of Wilt Chamberlain's dominance. And, and so that, to me, that's a profoundly effective guy at doing what he does when the league has to say, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. He's making a farce of the game. We have to adjust the measurements of the lane in order to accommodate for Wilt Chamberlain. In his, so, I mean, this guy, if he had knocked down foul shots, the, this guy's numbers would have been completely sick and ridiculous and off the charts. I've got him a little bit higher than you did. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying like this whole thing is subjective. It's just kind of like where do you put him at? It's hard to really evaluate because, you know, I was just stunned by the fact that he only had two championships. You know, you look at the guys above him. They were more winners, and I feel like we evaluate winning as the most important thing in basketball, which I understand that, but I think there's also more that goes into it as far as evaluating players. But it's it's all subjective. So if people have Will Hire, I have no problem with it. It's just my personal opinion. So anyway, Kent, let's move on to number six. Who's your number six? Magic. Uh, Magic Johnson. Talk about uh, a guy who revolutionized the game. You know, a 6'9 point guard. He could score it. When Kareem went down in the playoffs, he played the five, Mm -hmm. and he was effective in playing the five. He, He could play every position. He could defend every position. He, uh, I, I think that he and Larry really responsible for uh, the NBA kind of reemerging as as a major league. You know, at, at, at one point early on in their career, they the, uh, the, the what I think it was CBS put the NBA Finals on tape delay. It wasn't even shown live right. for God's sake. Magic had a lot to do with that. He was also a killer, an absolute killer who would, you know, uh, do whatever it took to win while smiling. You know, he's just a great basketball player in every facet. Uh, nearly averaged uh, a triple-double a couple of seasons and a, uh, a, a great ambassador for the game who came back after four years not playing, played 32 games for the Lakers in 95-96 and averaged 15-7. and seven. So, you know, this is a guy who, if not for his HIV diagnosis um he plays another four years at least at an all-star level and and i think with that the lakers become a much more competitive team during a period where they really weren't very competitive yeah that's a fair point and i have magic higher than number six for me so i'll save my thoughts on magic till then so yeah i'm a, I'm a big magic fan but as far as me for number six i've got larry bird who you had at number nine and it really just comes down to the fact that I've seen a lot of his tape. He's from French Lake, Indiana. I might have been a little biased here. And 24 points, 10, 10 rebounds a game, 6.3 assists. You know, two-time finals MVP, three-time champion, 10-time All-NBA, three-time MVP, 12-time All-Star. I mean, this this guy was special. And, you know, what just amazes me is I believe it, it was – I might have been his last year when they were playing the Pacers in that – uh, early playoff matchup for the early Pacers in the 90s. Yeah. And he smacks his head on the ground in game five, and Chuck Person's going off. You know, if this is today's NBA, there's a good chance that he doesn't come back because of a concussion. But he comes back out and plays, and he's like, at the end of his career, 
comes out and puts on a performance, leads the Celtics and wills them to a Game 5 victory over, you know, that scrappy young Pacers team. And while, you know, it's like, okay, well, it was this young Pacers team, but still, it was Larry Bird, an old an old veteran that didn't have much left in the tank, willing them to victory. It, you could tell because he started to gain a little bit of weight, smoked a lot in the locker room. I mean, if the guy doesn't smoke and drink as much as he did, that's someone you could say might have a longer <laughs> career as well. But, you know, he was uh, always smoking in the locker room from what I've heard. And, you know, just an com- incredible competitor. The greatest story is him walking in during the three-point contest saying, I'm going to win this. Who's coming in second place? You know, wins with his warm-up jacket on. Come on. Yeah. This is Larry freaking legend. So, yeah, I got him at number six. That's the highest I could put him. But I, I love Larry Bird, and I think that he was one of these saviors of, of basketball in the 80s. And that's, you know, we wouldn't have basketball possibly if it wasn't for his greatness during that time today. Yeah, and, and just a uh, a credit to the game in every way. Did everything relatively well. Another great competitor and, and a guy who had, you know, uh, to win, he'd kill you to do it. Mm-hmm. And and so a uh, absolutely just a, uh, a magnificent competitor who did the work necessary to be great. And, and that's what you really see with a lot of these guys is is kind of the, the validation of work ethic as one of the points of differentiation that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. I, com- I completely agree. So let's let's move on to our top five now. Who do you have at number five? Yeah, here's where I've got Bill Russell. So do uh, I. I. Perfect. Uh, uh, five-time MVP, uh, another great competitor, one of the best athletes ever to play in the NBA. He was an Olympic-level high jumper, for goodness sake. Uh, a guy who was an ultimate rim protector at a time where there really weren't many of those. His rebounding statistics, every bit as ridiculous as Chamberlain's, mm-hmm. never averaged less than 18.6 rebounds a game. He only played 13 seasons. He won 11 championships in those 13 seasons. My great competitor, great post presence. And, and another guy who I, I think his contributions off the court to basketball into society at, at least measure up to his contributions within the game. Yeah, he is literally the finals MVP, you know, that's named after Bill Russell. So he, right. he's been a winner his whole entire career. Like you said, 11-time NBA champion. The accolades are just unbelievable what he's done. And to this day, I mean, you see he, he's always at games. He's always at big events. And the dude is aged. He's aged a lot. But he, he just never feel like he's going to die. I mean, I feel like come 2080, <laughs> we're going to see Bill Russell just sitting, smiling real big, waving at the camera. <laughs> You know, in the NBA Finals, because Bill is just, you know, he's just willed a, a different way. And great defensive player. There's no doubt about it. I was trying to look up block stats, but I don't even think they kept block stats back they did in the not. day. So, you know, <laughs> we only know what him and Wilt would have averaged block-wise if they would have kept track of that. I mean, my goodness. But it's one of those things, you know, like you mentioned, he's a four-time rebound champion. I'm sure he was going up against Wilt during a lot of those times for, you know, most dominant rebounder in the game. But just the fact that he won so much is why I have him at number five, too. It's just Bill Russell changed the game, and I feel like a lot of young people don't understand his greatness. And he's he's kind of, you know, I don't remember the last year that he played, but it's so 69. long. 69. So it's yeah. that's the year he won Defensive Player of the Year, too, which is crazy. So it was last year's when he won it. And, and people, you know, in today's generation have no idea who he is. You know, you've heard of – 
Will. You've heard of Kareem because they at least played a little bit longer in the 70s into the 80s too for Kareem. But yeah, for, for Bill, he, he was done at the end of the 60s. But he's the most dominant player that nobody really talks about. The, the most incredible NBA winner we've ever seen. So yeah, I think number five is a great spot for Bill. He led the league in defensive win shares 11 times in 13 years. He will he will not sign autographs unless he's paid to do it. Well, that's uh, fine. And, and <laughs> I've tested – well, and this goes back like forever. When he was a player, he hated signing autographs and, and didn't really understand why people thought that that was important. Uh, he, he came into the studio at WIBC once to hawk a book. And he was there for like an hour, and he was great and really, really friendly. And I sicked Ryan on him said, go ask him for an autograph to see if he'd sign for a kid. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't sign his book. Um, but he's, a, he's a, a strange guy in principle, and there's a terrific book that, uh, that deals with him. And it's really, really interesting, and it's called The Last Pass. Okay. Relationship between Bill Russell and Bob Cousy. And it, it's a relationship – that um, it, it's very complicated, and Bill Russell really has tried. He's worked really hard to try to repair the relationship that he and he and Russell uh, has or have. And uh, it, fascinating book by Gary Pomerantz, and and you can you get a real good insight into who Bill Russell is and what he's about through reading that book. That would be a great great read, especially during this time in quarantine to go out there and find something to do so if you guys want that knowledge if you forgot what kent just said <laughs> you can always message kent or tweet at him to figure out what the name of that book was because i think reading about past you know generations of players would just be great for all of us to yeah. kind of educate ourselves on you know the entirety of the nba so let's move on to number four kent who do you got i've got lebron okay. at number four okay. four-time mvp wins championships uh, I, I think that LeBron, I mean, his career speaks for itself. He, um, I, I, I just, I, I don't think that you can tell the story of the last 20 years in the NBA without him being in the first, like his name has to be the lead right. uh, of telling the story of the last 20 years. So, and, and he's still playing at an incredibly high level. So I've got, uh, I've got LeBron. Was it hard for you to like put him on your list? Cause you just despise him so much. Well, I don't despise him, but I, I get your point. I I, I do not like him terribly. Right. I, I don't think he's – like the, there's no grace to him. You know, as you watch like highlights of Michael, you know, we're going to see a lot of that starting with this uh, The Last Dance mm-hmm. documentary on ESPN. Um, there are highlights that you can see in your mind. Like or if you talk about Bird or you talk about Magic – you know, with Jordan, it's that that it's that layup where he goes up with his right hand, changes to his left in that series against the Lakers. You can see, or, or the slam dunk contest where Michael takes off from the foul line. All all great players have a moment of grace that we recall visually. With LeBron, I don't have a single moment of grace for the guy, but he is. I think he can defend all five spots. He is a terrific scorer. He's a good rebounder. I, I think he's a, become more a willing passer, depending on kind of the talent around him. I just think he's a really good basketball player. And, uh, I mean, you can't – I can't just have a list with guys from the 60s that neither of us ever ever saw play. The game's right. changed. 
you know, you, you can't you can't tell the story of the NBA without talking about the centers of the 60s and into the 70s. And I don't think you can tell the story of the game without talking about LeBron James from 2003 forward. Yeah, I, I think the mo- or the play that sticks out for most people's mind with LeBron is that block he had on Iguodala that got Cleveland a championship. You know, you think about his time in Miami, and it's like, well, you know, it wasn't as emotional. He went down there, got his rings, but when he went back to Cleveland, you know, Kyrie has that, you know, uh, eventually that became the game-winning shot was that three-point shot that he made, but that block that he had on Iguodala to, you know, save that moment where nobody was scoring, I think that's what people will remember him by the most. And, you know, there's there's the step-back game-winner that he hit against the Magic, but I don't believe they won that series. So it's kind of like, you know, right. you think about Jordan, like you said, that move, you know, the up and under. And you also talk about the push-off on Byron Russell. That's a big one as well. Right. So, yep. you know, there's these moments where you think about with LeBron, you know, I'm sure that if you really pinpoint and you're a huge fan, you're going to be like, well, I remember when he did this and did that and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, it's just one of those things where, Great moments, game winners in the final, stuff like that. You just don't really remember those with LeBron. But defensively, I do think of that block. But, you know, I'll get to LeBron here in a little bit. But for my number four, Ken, I got Magic Johnson. And, okay. you know, this is one of the players that I, I think the HIV really, you know, like you mentioned earlier, just stunned his career because he was so good. And if that wouldn't have happened, he would have been dominant for another four to five years at least. And people have been comparing him to LeBron as far as, best passer, I think it's Magic hands down. I mean, LeBron's a great passer, don't get me wrong, but I I just think Magic was incredible. Could play one through five, 19 points a game, 11.2 assists, 7.2 rebounds, 12-time All-Star, three-time MVP, five five championships, three-time Finals MVP, 10-time All-NBA, you know, led the league in assists four times. Just the accolades are unbelievable. I I just... Magic was was such a special player and a much better player than he was the president of basketball operations, that's for sure. And, (laughs) you know, but Magic is, you know, just he's an ambassador of the NBA today to this point still. You know, he he loves the the basketball that that is being played. He loves talking about it. And that was one of his problems. He just loved talking about players. Like, sometimes he wouldn't even be saying anything like trying to, like, get guys to come play for him. You know, he was – winking on Kimmel, you know, about Paul George, stuff like that. But right. he just loves to tweet out about players and, oh, what a great game by such and such. And, you know, it's it's funny, but I think that Magic Johnson is such a special player. You know, we've had to deal with Magic. If you're a Larry Bird fan and you're an Indiana State fan, you had to deal with him with Michigan State in the NCAA championship. And then you also have to go back and watch Bird versus Magic all throughout the 80s, you know, going back and forth, winning championships and titles. So, yeah, you know, you just think about it. You don't have basketball without Magic Johnson, and I think he was just a slight bit better than Larry Bird overall. But, yeah, I got him at number four. He's in my Mount Rushmore, uh, greatest of all time in the NBA. Yeah, you know what? The guy played with joy, and that resonates with us. We, uh-huh. Like, what watching LeBron play, I, that's not what I see. I don't. I see, he's more like a tank, right? right? It's hard to root for a tank. With with Magic Johnson, there was the smile, there was the creativity, there was the fun, while at the same time being ridiculous in terms of figuring out how to beat an opponent. opponent. Granted, he had great players around him, you know, James Worthy and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he that was a great team. But he was sort of that conductor 
of that team and and did it with a smile and a grace and uh i don't know it, 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 it just unbelievably good and i think really at number six i don't know maybe i've sold him a little bit short and i'd like about eight of these guys to be ranked in the top four right <laughs> but we only have four to put in the top four so there it is absolutely well let's move on to your top three who's number three that's Wilt, and, okay. and we've devoted a lot of time to Wilt, but to me, he was just unbelievable, and uh, uh, a guy, like we said, they changed the rules because of him, and that, to me, puts puts him in, in like that pantheon of absolute greats. Yeah, I, I agree with that, so, you know, I mean, I had him lower, but I just put the winning a little bit too high, I guess, and how I evaluated him against some of the other big names that I put above him, but... Uh, I'm curious, who do you think I have at number three? I am going to guess that you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at number three. And that is what I thought you would guess. It is actually LeBron James for me. Oh, there you go. So I'm a, little, I'm a lot higher on Kareem than most people. And it's because I just Kareem's numbers are unbelievable. You compare him to LeBron's. And, you know, overall, I mean, LeBron James is a great basketball player. You talked about it. So I guess I'll do my 3-2 here since we already kind of revealed it with Kareem being my number two. So LeBron, a fantastic basketball player, defensive player, you know, can guard one through five, doesn't always choose to do that. Could be more dominant than he has been in the regular season, which he was. You know, he's been dominant when he wants to be, saves himself for the playoffs. You know, he ran the Eastern Conference for years, making the NBA Finals, I mean, like seven years in a row, was it, before he moved out west? Yeah. So, you know, just a fantastic athlete. And a lot of people say, well, he's, you know, better than Michael or he's number two. And it's like, that's because you didn't watch Michael play. And right. luckily enough, I remember seeing Michael play a little bit. And some people that saw Michael, all they remember are his Washington Wizards days. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> he'd been retired for what, four years before he came back, five years, whatever it was. So it's like, come on, people. You got to realize what's going on here. LeBron's a freak, you know. 18 years old comes into the league. I think that that's helped him, especially the longevity, becoming in so young, you know, played for a really bad Cavs team and, and, and took them to the NBA Finals against the Spurs. But the Eastern Conference was also so bad at that point. It, it's kind of laughable. But, you know, I'm not knocking LeBron. He's been to a lot of NBA Finals. He's a top three basketball player to me, and he probably will eventually. If he wins a title in L.A., I probably would jump him over Kareem at this point. But oh. – you know, I just to me, it's like it's two A two B for me. It's so so close. I'm feel like I'm pin, you know pinching numbers here, but that's why I got him at three. Is number two Kareem for you? Yeah, he's number two just because. <laughs> I mean, he won six Most Valuable Player awards. Yeah, in the seventies, right in in the same decade. So uh, a, a terrific offensive player, obviously with the sky hook, which was unblockable. Um, uh, a great rim protector, averaged better than uh, better than three blocks a game. When they started, they started keeping block statistics in the seventy three seventy four season, and from then until the end of the decade, he averaged better than three blocks a season, um, always in the upper twenties during that period. And then, as he as he aged, the statistics and the minutes kind of came down a little bit, but he was still a great winning basketball player. Right. And and absolutely, I, I, I he's the all-time leading scorer. He is iconic. He he played exceptionally well in twenty seasons, mm -hmm. right? For twenty years, the guy was playing 
and winning at a high level. Made every All Star or made the All Star game in every season he played minus seventy seven seventy eight when he was dinged up a little bit and only played sixty two games. But to me, just uh, like unbelievable, and and really probably, I don't know, the last great center of that of that run. You know, from like nineteen sixty, I, I think until like 19 damn near 1980 i think oscar robertson's the only non-center to win a uh, most valuable player award mm-hmm. i think that that's right it, it, that's it, that is true through 74 because i looked it up in terms of jerry west like one of my criteria for the list was you have to have been an mvp at least one year that's but fair. for jerry west's career like it, it was centers or Oscar Robertson in 61-62 when he averaged a triple-double. So Jerry West probably is a home on this list, but he's been overshadowed just because of the dominance of the centers during that era. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. You know, he is a logo, and it is funny that the logo doesn't even make the top ten, right? Right. You know, know, it's just you look at Kareem's numbers, and this is what put him over LeBron for me too. It's like, you know, the fact that he was an 11-time all-defensive player. LeBron's only been six-time all-defensive player. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, being a four-time blocks leader, 19-time all-star, I mean, just an unbelievable record. Like, you just look at the numbers. It's like, oh, my God, this guy's unbelievable. And one thing you didn't even mention, he had the most unstoppable shot for the longest time. The Kareem yeah. sky hook. Could not be stopped. And, we you know, before he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was Lou Alcindor, played with UCLA, John Wooden, one of the greatest, you know, coaches in NCAA history, goes to Milwaukee. Milwaukee sells him to the Lakers. You know, this is just like a small market, big market thing. They couldn't afford it. But, I mean, he, Kareem was just unbelievable. And the fact that he won so much and – was so successful, I just feel like, you know, maybe athletically, if freak-wise, LeBron is a better athlete freak-wise, sure, athletic-wise, sure. But I think overall, you talk about skill, you talk about how he adapted to who he played with, you know, the most dominant shot in NBA history, the defense that he brought to it, two-time scoring champ. I I just think that he's just a tiny, tiny bit better than LeBron James at this point. And, you know, he has the entire career to prove that. So... Yeah, I, I got to go with Kareem at number two. I just felt like I, I was being sacrilegious in a sense to put LeBron ahead of him because LeBron still has some career left to prove himself. You know, Kareem, in the same year, twice, he led the NBA in offensive win shares and defensive win shares. In overall win shares, over a period of 11 years, he led the NBA nine of them. You know, that's how dominant the guy was. He he led the Bucks to a championship. We know what he did with the Lakers. Um, just a great, great basketball player. And another guy who's off-the-court influence uh, on society has been enormous. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. So let's move on. Big drumroll here. Who are you going to shock us with at number one, Kent? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's Michael Jordan. I was lucky enough to live in Chicago for seven of his seasons, six or seven of his seasons, um, from uh, 87 through 93. And so I got to see Michael Jordan play a lot of great basketball, you know, 82 games a season. And to me, there's never been a better competitor 
These are all great competitors. Bird, a great competitor. Magic, a great competitor. Russell, certainly. All these, uh, Tim Duncan. But I, to me, there was nobody like Michael because Michael dominated both ends of the floor simultaneously. And then when Michael figured out that he wasn't good enough on his own to win a championship, mm-hmm. he actually, in, instead of like going out and saying, hey, I need Chris Bosh and I need Dwayne Wade, in order to win a championship, what he did was say, okay, I'm going to take the guys I already got and I'm going to make them better basketball players just through the force of my own will. I'm going to get Scottie Pippen to be one of the best players in the league. I'm going to get him to prioritize basketball over all else and winning over all else. And as a result of that, we're going to put ourselves in a position to win multiple championships. And that's exactly what the Bulls did. I think, Mike, as you look at Pippen as a top 50 guy, in NBA history, the only reason that he's there is because Michael Jordan got his head right and put him in a position to elevate his game to the level it did because that is what Michael needed in order to win championships. Kind yeah. of took three different or two sets of rosters and was the dominant player on both and and the Bulls won, cha- won three-peats with both those groups and was just still unbelievable at the age of 35, 36 with the Bulls. Uh, to me, best player, best competitor of all time, and a guy who would have played Major League Baseball had he not returned to the NBA. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest what if is if he doesn't retire, you know, yeah. from, from what was it, 90, 94, 95, and then they right. came back and won 96, 97, 98. So, yeah, so if he doesn't retire in 94, 95, do they, you know, win eight straight championships? I think that's possible. They were so dominant. I mean, you talk about 90s basketball. The scoring was so low in those games. Michael Jordan averaged 30 points a game in the 90s. Yeah, that's you know, a great point. That, that to me, just says, okay. And, uh, you know, sure, there were some times where he shot a ton of shots, but he, he was never afraid to take the big shot. But he was also, you look at guys like John Pax and Steve Kerr, he was never afraid to make the right basketball play. And I think yep. LeBron, you know, gets criticized for being passive in those moments. But I, but I think MJ hit enough game winners that, it, you know, it justified the passing. Because you got 13 guys, you know, the three officials and the other nine or the other, you know, the nine and the two coaches watching him go out there. I mean, everybody knows Jordan's going to get the ball at the last seconds in his hands. And even if you go back and look at that, unbelievable three-point shot where Reggie Miller pushes, you know, Michael Jordan to the three-point line and, and hits the shot. He's spinning around. I think there was like seven-tenths of a second left, and, and Jordan takes a three from way behind the arc, and it almost banks in, you know. Yep. Jordan is just, you know, you were you were never more scared of a player than when you saw Michael Jordan with the ball in his hands. And, you know, we've been hearing, I don't know if you've been listening to any podcast, but I've been listening to guys kind of just reminisce talking about how Michael had so much control over what happened on the court because he'd sit there and cuss out referees left and right and they would almost be intimidated by him then they said that john starks went up and said something like he said that's bs or something and john starks or charlie warder whoever it was got a tech and you know it's funny mj just sat there for five minutes dropping like 20 f-bombs so yeah you know it just michael was six-time finals mvp you know there was no doubt he was the best player in the NBA when he was there. There was no doubt he was the best player on his team. He elevated his team. He never left Chicago to join another team. Yes, he played with the Wizards, like we mentioned, for for two measly years. But even at that point, when he was way past his prime and you know just 
coming back almost. I feel like he came back just to kind of prove to himself that he could do it more than anything. But the defense, he won a defensive player of the year. He could have probably been the best perimeter defender in the league when he wanted to be. And so I just I just think Michael Jordan, as much as you know, this documentary coming out is going to praise him, you know, he's even said that people are going to like him less, which wouldn't shock me because there's some questionable things about his off court, you know, issues with gambling and stuff like that. But, you know, just a true competitor, true winner. And you got guys, you know, striving to be like Mike and uh, just a fantastic basketball player that I don't think we will ever see someone as great as Michael Jordan ever again. If you prioritize winning over all else, you're going to, you're going to ruffle feathers. You're going to cause people to dislike you because like, it's not about humanity with those guys it's not about being the best person they can be it's about winning and so if you come off as a bit of an ass as he has relentlessly then people people look at that the thing with with jordan and you mentioned he could be the best perimeter defender in the nba when he wanted to be he wanted to be that every single night is in seven of his uh, of his ten, ten full seasons all right, with the Bulls where he was able to play full season. So 94-95 doesn't count because he only played the last 17 regular season games. And there were uh, two years where he didn't play 82. Other than that, the other seven years, his final years with the Bulls, he played all 82 games. Yeah, There was no load management with this guy. He wanted to win every single game that he played. He's still pissed off that the Bulls lost 10 games during the regular season in 1996, when to me, that was the best basketball team I've ever seen. Like, they were unbelievably good. Their bench was great. They rebounded the ball great. They defended with tenacity, and they could flat score it. That was a great defensive team and and it's a testimony to to michael that he looks back on that season and says i, I can't believe we lost 10 games like, like <laughs> there's no way we should have lost those 10 right you got guys today who are like good enough's good enough good enough was never good enough for michael jordan yeah that's a fair point too you know guys are more worried about resting and you know and, and you think about it, i mean i'm sure in the 90s travel wasn't that you know bad but you know in today's you know, generation traveling is the best it's ever been. You know what I mean? Right. People, I mean, these players are so pampered and I think that's almost, uh, to a fault why they act like they do. It's because they get so much treatment. They get treated like they're gods and you know, they the competitiveness. You see it, but I wish we saw it more because even you talk about regular season games. I mean, you know, Michael goes up against the Detroit bad boys. That's kind of where it all starts. And, you know, he gets sick and tired of Bill Embiid and Rick Mahorn and, you know, Dennis Rodman at that point on the on the Pistons, putting him on his butt every time he comes to the basket. And he had to figure out different ways to overcome yep. that. And you look at LeBron and, you know, he was playing with, you know, a team that didn't have a lot of great players on it. I mean, Mo Williams is probably the best player that he had in Cleveland besides El Galskis and, you know, Verizon. Just not a lot of great talent on that team. Ends up going to Miami to join a guy that two guys that were drafted in the same class as him. One had already won a championship. You know, the other Chris Bosch was an incredible, you know, player in Toronto, but it's just one of those things where MJ never had to leave to, to win rings and to, and to solidify his career. Because if the pressure of winning titles to prove that you're the greatest, wasn't uh, as big of a deal as we make it. I've, who knows if LeBron leaves, right? So right, I just, exactly. 
I, I just think LeBron felt the pressure personally of, hey, I want to be you know known as the greatest basketball player ever. I've got to win more championships. And he wanted to win them in Cleveland. He grew up there, obviously. But, you know, you just, you just can't. LeBron has made too many different decisions, in my personal opinion, career-wise, uh, to where he'll never reach the apex of Michael Jordan. And I might get crucified by saying that because some of these listeners probably have never really seen MJ play, but... MJ was, <laughs> he was unstoppable. And there was a reason so many people, even a guy like Kobe Bryant, wanted to be like him because he is the greatest to ever play the game, in my personal opinion. And that's what's going to be fascinating tonight and, and, and throughout this uh, the documentary, The Last Dance, is going to be kind of to take that behind-the-scenes look at a guy, you know, he's punching Steve Kerr in practice. And, and I, you know, if you were playing ping pong against Jordan, you got his best, right? And mm-hmm. if you played pool against him, you got his best. If you played golf against him, you got his best. The guy only values winning. And uh, you know what? There's sacrifices that come with that. And we get to see them all in the last dance. I think it's going to be unbelievable. It, it definitely will be, Ken. So, uh, once again, if you're interested, can you go ahead and run down your top ten just so people can hear in case they forgot? Yeah, sure. Uh, number 10, I've got Tim Duncan. Number 9, Larry Bird. Number 8, James Harden, because he's the best offensive player I've ever seen, including Michael Jordan. Uh, Kobe Bryant, number 7. Number 6, Magic. Number 5, Bill Russell. Number 4, LeBron. Number 3, Wilt. Number 2, Kareem. And number 1, Michael. Awesome. So for me, real quick, I've got Kobe at number 10, Shaq at 9, <clears throat> Duncan at 8, Wilt Chamberlain at 7, Larry Bird at 6. Bo Russell, five, Magic Johnson, four, LeBron James, three, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number two, and Michael Jordan is number one. So feel free to chime in and let us know what you guys think. Of course, you know, a lot of people will not agree with everything. Only only thing that I have with you, Ken, I just still can't believe you put James Harden on your list. And I'll let you close out today's show on why James Harden should be on your list and might even move up, possibly, by the end of his He's- career. He's the best offensive basketball player I've ever watched. Anytime I go to Banker's Life Fieldhouse to watch the Pacers and the Rockets, all I do is watch James Harden. I don't watch anything else or anybody else. I watch James Harden because his his decision-making with the basketball is flawless. His execution with and without the basketball is flawless. He is, to me, an offensive basketball miracle. And and I, I understand that defensively, like his all-around game, I'm not going to give him a lot of love on the defensive end. But this this is, like I said, the best offensive basketball player that's ever played this game. And and to not recognize that with his inclusion on this list, I, I think is a mistake, and that's why he's there. Okay, well, there you guys have it. I'm not going to argue <laughs> with Kent. Just uh, know that I think that Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are better uh, – overall players and James Harden for me. But anyway, we're going to close this one out. You can follow Kent Sterling on Twitter at Kent Sterling, and I'm at Alex Golden NBA. And make sure you're checking out PacersTalk.net and setting the pace three on Twitter for all of your latest Pacers news. We'll talk to y'all later, everybody. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.